0: This is Mind Speak. Everything you thought you knew about health is about to be turned on its head. I'm Holly Higgins, a nutritional therapy practitioner, and I'm here to show you how your mind can heal your body, your body can heal your mind, and no matter what you've been told, you are in the driver's seat of your life let's go welcome to the show today we are talking about something very near and dear to my heart emdr therapy emdr sounds kind of like a techno band (laughs) but it's actually an amazing form of therapy it stands for eye movement desensitization desensitization and reprocessing i believe and i've brought on a very special guest today to talk with us about emdr somebody who's trained in emdr and uses it um and this has been you know i have been a guinea pig on my own personal mental health journey i have tried every modality under the sun anything you can think of i've probably tried it and emdr is in my top Five tools for mental wellness. It just made such a profound shift in my life. And I can't wait to just dive in with Yolanda today and tell you all about this phenomenal tool and how you can get connected with it if it seems like something that might help you or resonate with you. So first of all, welcome to the show, Yolanda.
1: Hi, Holly. Thank you for having me
0: here. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, your background, who you serve, and all that good stuff? Um, a little
1: bit about my back- background is I have my bachelor's degree in social Work, and then I did my master's degree in community counseling. Um, I have I have been trained in DVT, and I'm certified in trauma and I'm, I've been trained in, to do EMDR as well. Um, my, the population that I work with is primarily Hispanic people. I work in a border community. So all of the people who I see are either immigrants or they are second generation, third generation immigrants, Okay,
0: and you also have an amazing page over on Instagram, which is how we got connected. You're over at AZ Psychotherapist, and can you tell us a little bit about what you do on that page and the types of messages that you share?
1: Yes, of course. Um, the reason I started the page was to just provide more information to people about uh, trauma and just the humanness of of all the like the day to day reactions that we get that oftentimes we label as being bad or or we we oftentimes see them as like our flaws. So the main reason behind my page was to just let people know that we're human, that we all go through these things and just kind of give more information about trauma so that people can understand more what trauma is and how it impacts us, all Mm. of us.
0: Yeah, and I love what you're doing over there on your page. It's incredible. And that leads me right into our first question. So, we're going to be talking specifically about EMDR today, which is, like I said earlier, a type of therapy that's highly effective for trauma. But before we even get into the details of EMDR, I'd love to just take a minute and talk about what trauma is because I think it's so misunderstood. A lot of people have trauma and they don't even realize it. So, Yolanda, like, just a really basic definition what is trauma and what constitutes trauma? Most people identify
1: trauma as being like this big, big things, you know, sexual abuse or um, losing a parent, uh, but or or even like being like in experiencing um, like a hurricane or a natural disaster. But the truth is that all of us experience trauma at some point in our lives, even people who came up from really healthy backgrounds, we just don't really associate it. Uh, trauma is just difficult life experiences and who hasn't had difficult life experiences, right? Uh-huh. So in in general, right? Um, trauma is the things in your life, the difficult life experiences in your life that somehow stick around your, your brain in that moment wasn't able to cope or process the things that happened in that moment and they they impacted you in the way that you carry yourself or the the, your thoughts the way you see life you know the your worldview. um in usually in the i want to say like a trauma world right like we usually talk about small t traumas and big t traumas um and the big t traumas are the ones that we usually think of the the big ones like if you're in a car accident, if something horrible happens to you, times those are like the one-time one, one time incident traumas that are like the big ones, but a lot of the time, or I'm sorry, that sometimes it can be repeated trauma, like sexual abuse, right? That is big T trauma. Like it's not just once, it happens a lot and it's big every time. And then we have the small T traumas. And the small T traumas can range from like say like you look for connection with your parent and they're not available. So you you have this perception that maybe you're not worthy of that attention. Or it can be like as simple as your teacher, you know, like not coming from a bad place, but maybe telling you, hey, like you're your handwriting looks like little spiders there, right? And <laughs> you believing that this means that you have horrible handwriting. And so for the rest of your life, you, you believe this. So yes, so trauma, really everybody um, experiences it. I feel like it's so misunderstood and um, we really do ourselves a disservice by not understanding more or, or spreading the information more, right? So that people are aware. because in these areas, like people can work a lot on, like explore a lot of why they are who they are today.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. And it's so important to validate trauma for everybody because, um, you know, in in my work with people, you know, I can kind of like recognize and see that somebody may have been through some trauma and and I'll reflect that back to them and ask if they've gotten help for it. And they'll they'll be like, you know, what do you mean? Like, I wasn't in a war or you know i've never been assaulted and and so really opening up the dynamic of like what constitutes trauma what is trauma and then yolanda one thing that i that i personally experience with trauma and i think it's true for just about anybody who experiences trauma is trauma kind of causes you to become stuck and to feel like you're very stuck in certain patterns whether those are reactions in your physical body Or like thoughts that are playing on the loop that you can't get unstuck from. Would you say that's a fair assessment that trauma kind of freezes us in a certain place?
1: Yes, yes, it is. And here's the thing. Um, one of the things I often like to explain to explain to my clients as I explain fight, flight, freeze, right? Is um I like I give them this scenario so that they get an idea of how our body reacts. And so let's just say that if you are, let's say you're in your house and somebody's breaking in, you're alone, you know, no, you're know, you not expecting anyone. So your body is calm and relaxed and then it hears something and all of a sudden it, it knows that it's a threat. And so how we react in that moment is their brain's way of protecting us. And it does it automatically. We don't have to do anything to... Um, to get this response, and so one one person might, in that moment, um, their brain might tell them that the best way to protect themselves is by fleeing the situation. And this is like the person who will who look for a window. That that would be totally me, though. By the way, like you look for a window <laughs> look for a way out, like you know that if you or you it feels that your brain is telling you that if you stay in this situation you will get hurt so you need to escape. The second situation is when somebody goes to their closet, grabs their gun, their bat, whatever they have in hand and they go towards the the danger because in that situation their brain tells them the best way to survive this situation is to actually confront it. So you mm-hmm. have to fight. Yeah. And then the third response, which is a, sometimes what doesn't make um, a lot of sense to people, is the freeze response. And this is the brain telling you the best way for you to survive situation. This situation is just to stay put. Allow the person to come in. Whatever's going to happen, happens. But as long as you're alive, by the end of this, that's all that matters. So that's usually how we go into these protective mechanisms of fight, fight, freeze, and we have no way to control it. A lot of the times, people end up feeling shame over their reaction, but it's automatic. We can't help it; um, we have no say in it. But we do have to be aware that this is our brain trying to protect us. You know, a, a lot of the times we we shame ourselves for reacting this way, but when we understand that the the main purpose of our brain is to keep us alive and safe and that's exactly what it was trying to do in that moment um i think it can make it can help us make sense of trauma in a different way
0: absolutely i you know just in in listening to people's stories you know even in you know friendships or or family relationships and people reflecting you know pain back to me i often hear people say ah oh, if only I just feel so bad that I let that thing happen to me. You know, I let that happen to me, but when you have this understanding of the the fight, flight or freeze mechanism that you so beautifully described, it's like, well, your brain was just trying to keep you safe. This wasn't like, you know, you just willy-nilly let it happen. So that can really help to alleviate the shame. Mhm yeah yeah that was that was awesome insight there and can you tell us so now that we have this understanding of you know trauma isn't just these big hairy scary things that happen in our life it can also just be the smaller things that have a long-term impact um now that we have an understanding a better understanding of what trauma is can you tell us more about emdr what is it and how is it different than traditional talk therapy
1: i love talk therapy i feel like it can be very very beneficial it can move people um, a lot you know i think that the therapeutic connection really helps a lot i've had a lot of my clients um heal um without emdr however there was always a there was something a sense right that things weren't done and people kept saying like i just feel so stuck i feel like i I I have to do this and I know how to do it but in that moment I just can't do it. And this is where EMDR comes in where people start feeling stuck or that they can't move past their um their current behaviors um that they're frustrated and so that's um that's one and then EMDR also comes in to treat um I mean, I, I, you're probably familiar with this, Holly, but um, originally it was meant to treat PTSD,
0: Yeah. so uh,
1: so PTSD, that's, I mean, the, the biggest one or the most people that are aware of that one because that's the one that led to this um, being created, but also complex PTSD, um, any type of trauma, really, um, and Honestly, the best way that I can describe it or the best way when I, when I tell people about this um, is if you have anything that bothers you about how you react, how you act with others, your relationships, anything at all, or how you perceive life, um, there could be something to explore because maybe that connection hasn't been made. And so EMDR can also help with that.
0: And can you talk a little bit about um, EMDR being a somatic approach that is, um, you know, kind of more geared toward our body and our nervous system than just our thoughts? Can you go into that just a little bit about that dynamic of it?
1: I don't know if a lot of people are familiar with Peter Levine's work and the somatic experiencing approach.
0: Um,
1: So he talks about how a lot of the times or he observed animals in the wild and he would notice their reactions when they release the, the energy from all of all of the, uh, I don't know, like the hard experiences that they had, like when they were chasing other animals and things like that, or like traumatic things that happened to them, like they were able to release the energy. And so that's what we understand that happens with our body, Trauma is actually stored in a molecular um, way in our body. So I'll give you an example. Say, for example, a person was uh, being physically abused by their parent, And every time that they would scream or cry or whatever it happened, the parent would get more upset. So the child learned that in order to avoid that response from the parent, they would censor themselves, right? Mm. And so they couldn't fight against that parent. They weren't strong enough to take that parent on. So what they, what was happening in their body was actually, they were feeling all of these um, sensations and energy, but they weren't able to do anything with it. And so a ton of experience happen like this. It can be so simple as like you having something to say and not being able to say it or um, you wanting to do something or feeling like running away and not being able to run away. So, and that, so your body has that energy and it, it doesn't like your body doesn't do anything with that energy. So it just kind of gets stuck in the body. And that's, what happens a lot of the times where talk therapy doesn't usually get to um, because it involves using more of the body to process that all of that energy that, that's kind of stuck in the body?
0: Mm-hmm. That stuck and trapped energy. And I think for so many of us with trauma, that stuck energy creates a sense of hypervigilance. I know this was true for me where. You always feel like you have to be on guard. You always feel like the other shoe is about to drop. You always feel like you have to be careful, or something really bad might happen, and you have to be on high alert all the time. And you just feel this tenseness, um, and you know, like little things can set you off. I think that's that's really indicative of this energy it's stuck in the body and one of the ways that people can see that manifest in their lives. Would you, do you feel like that's an accurate description, Yolanda? Absolutely, Holly. I think you describe it really, really well. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. It's i I've lived it. (laughs) It's no fun (laughs) and I'm so glad that I found EMDR to help me break through it. Um, and on that note, Yolanda, what kind of issues respond well to EMDR therapy?
1: Honestly, um, I, here's the, I guess what I want to say is the tricky part because unless it's um, dissociative identity disorder, anything else can can go really. Okay. But the, I guess what you would say the problem wouldn't be whether you can or can't do EMDR is whether that professional that you're working with can work with you or you need another level of EMDR or you need to be prepared for EMDR. And this is where people might get confused. Um, So the second step of EMDR is just preparation for EMDR. And so people can spend a lot of time here, especially if they have a lot of um, trauma. You don't wanna do EMDR with people who are not safe so no suicidal thoughts no psychotic psych um thoughts you know like yeah it, it doesn't mean that if you have hallucinations you can't never do emdr but you don't want to do uh, their emdr with somebody who's hallucinating
0: right right or you don't want to
1: do emdr with somebody who's um like suicidal in that moment because you by doing EMDR, you can open up things that can, in between sessions, cause deeper sadness. And I often have that happen with clients. And you don't want to do that when somebody's suicidal Um, in that moment. You also don't, you know, so there's kind of like rules to when not to do it, but it doesn't mean that the person can't not, can never do it. It's just, you have to prepare them more to get to EMDR. You have to do a lot of like, Teaching them how to um get like their own like have resources, like um knowing how to self-regulate, that kind of thing. Does that
0: gotcha. make sense? Yeah, totally. So so there's okay. a few instances where you have to be careful about how you use it with somebody and then just making sure that somebody's really prepped for this work because it is very deep and it can be very intense work. And so you just wanna make sure that um, the client and the therapist have really good rapport before diving into that, right? Right. And so you want the
1: person to be able to maintain dual awareness. So that's like the key. Can the person be here in the room with you um, and know that they're here, right? And not um, not getting triggered and having maybe like a flashback and not being, right? Like disassociating.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. that's very key because um then you can actually re-traumatize that person because it feels like they're living the experience again and see like this is one of the things that we're talking about earlier when I said it's it's something that you have to experience Mm -hmm. in order to actually understand it because um I remember in my training like people were confused about it and I can totally understand like how we can be confused about it because until you actually get sit down and actually start processing, you can see how you're, you're changing, like your your connections and in, in your brain are changing and you can feel it. It's such a mystery, right? Um, I mean, we know how it works. Um, we know it, we're rewiring our brain. We know that the, we have a lot of studies to prove how effective it is, but it still feels unreal until you experience it
0: absolutely i can't agree more you know as somebody who's done a good amount of emdr and you know my therapist that i've worked with here in north carolina she she talks about you know there's a lot of science behind it there's a lot of research behind it but actually emdr is tapping into some very very ancient and i would even um gravitate to sort like gravitate to say like mystical wisdom of the human body and she says that a lot of you know the approaches that are used in emdr actually harken back to ancient practices that we once knew and have since forgotten so even though it can be difficult to describe and it's one of those things that like you kind of have to experience it in order to to really get a flavor of what it is yolanda and i are going to try our best today to paint a picture of this for you. So Yolanda, tell us just what happens in EMDR. What does the process of a session look like and what does a treatment plan look like for somebody? Um, You know, how many sessions does somebody typically need? Just kind of as much as you can paint a picture for us of the process of EMDR. So there are eight phases
1: in EMDR and I find that different therapists have their own approach. Usually when you're trained, you're given a guide of the eight phases and you just go through the eight phases. And I'll go, in a little bit, I'll go through it. Um, The treatment planning, um, which is um, the first step, is how we decide what we're gonna work on. And this is the part where people oftentimes do different Sometimes you can go into your therapist and you just can say, you know, like I have an eating disorder that I've had since forever and I would like to work on that because I've been in treatment and I I can't I feel stuck or you know and or um whatever it is the problem that you have and then the the therapist can work with you on that problem. Now there's a different type of doing it where um, a, a therapist will kind of get like a history of all of the traumas the big traumas or the I mean all of the tough traumas that you've had since childhood he'll uh, that person will go over the memories and um, that are more impactful to you right now so when you think about them like what are the memories that are bothering you the most so let's say oh um I was beaten like physically by my parents and that that therapist can work maybe on listing like the five memories that bother you the most when you think about them now that's one way of doing it the person will go through like just get the history of everything and process that and what people will find often is that other things start going away like other things in their life start getting better even though you haven't addressed it. So let's say that, I, that we did all of the work on your early childhood trauma, right? All of, we processed all of those memories. Maybe your, your uh, relationship with your husband or, or partner got better and you don't even know why, but it's because those childhood traumas were impacting your relationship.
0: Yeah, that's ex- just to interrupt here real quick. That's exactly what happened with me. I made a, I made a list of the 10 worst things that ever happened to me. It was really fun. Let me tell you, <laughs> <And> <laughs> oh, I, took yeah. it, I took it into my therapist and, you know, we've over time uh, worked through all of those and you know, most of it was stuff that happened in my early childhood and adolescence. And, um, but I found my present day reality, who I was able to show up in the world as, as 30 something Holly completely changed. I'm so much more calm. I'm so much less reactive. I'm, I can experience joy and happiness now, instead of just constantly being worried that something terrible is going to happen. So that's, that's what my plan looked like. And it was so effective for me.
1: Mhm. Yeah, it's we go through all of these little and big T traumas and we really don't don't make that connection on how they affect who we are in the present. And sometimes even with EMDR you don't get to do that because it just kind of happens like you naturally change. One of the um the funniest things that I was discussing with one of the facilitators at a training was like, "Hey, you know, it's weird because sometimes like I ask people like what do you feel do you notice a difference do you feel better and they're like no I feel the same but then I go more in depth and I start asking like well do you notice your reactions pertaining to this issue and they're like yeah I don't feel like that anymore (laughs) and so they the facilitator was telling me you know yeah it it's like it's something very beautiful because it's almost like it's always been there. Like you've almost, almost like you don't remember how it felt
0: before. It becomes your new normal. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. It's almost like these issues and the, these patterns that we have can go away. And until somebody like a, like a wonderful partnership with a therapist, you know, reflects back to us, Hey, you know, have you been dealing with this? And then the client realizes, Oh, Oh my gosh, I haven't been dealing with that and I didn't even realize it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's honestly, Holly, like to me, it's such a beautiful experience to have experienced it. And when I do it with clients and then have them tell me, like, I hadn't noticed, like, that or that doesn't really bother me anymore. And it's almost like we don't remember. I mean, we remember on a logical level, but not like a feeling, emotional level of how much that really bugged us in the past. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I love that. So that's kind of the first phase that you're talking about is the preparation Mm -hmm. phase, the history phase, and then what comes next?
1: So the first is the treatment planning, right? So we decide what we're going to work on. And then the second one, we prepare the client. And on this phase, we want to make sure that the client is able to soothe themselves, to calm down. We don't want to take a client um, and start doing the work and cause more trauma. So this part is very, very important. And this is where people um, sometimes can get stuck for a while, but I mean I say stuck but it's not really stuck it's part of the process.
0: Yeah, absolutely. so so before you really dive into the EMGR, you need to make sure the client has good coping tools and mechanisms and kind of ways to bring themselves back to the present moment and still and calm themselves you know before you dive in and start exploring some of the past trauma. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So let's say we get through that phase. What comes next?
1: So the next phase is assessment and reprocessing, and here's where we actually activate the experience, and here is where we actually get uh, the person in touch with the experience. One of the one of the things that I often um, notice, and I mean it has happened to me too, is that we int- intellectualize past experiences so we can say oh yeah you know my mom um hit me when i was young but that was just how things were back then and so we will never be connected to that feeling and you can meet people um who can talk about their early childhood and tell you um everything without you don't see you don't notice any distress and that doesn't necessarily mean that they've with it or they've learned to overcome it. It might just mean that they're disconnected from it. And in this phase, we we'll get people activated for the experience. And so what we do is we really ask them to be connected to the experience with all of their senses. So how, what emotion are you feeling? Um, where in your body are you feeling it? Um, What are the thoughts that you're having with this uh, specific memory? What is the worst part of the event? Mm, We really, really want people to get connected to the experience so that we can access um, the the channels to start processing.
0: Right, right. And this happens, you know, in in session with a therapist. I know for me, just reflecting what I've experienced, it's almost like, you know, you can intellectualize something just like you were saying, like, oh, this thing happened to me when I was seven, it was really bad, but you know, my parents were just doing the best that they could because they didn't know how to do any better either. And you know, that might be true on some level, but as that seven year old little girl, like I felt really deep emotions in my body that I've never been able to fully experience or honor. And so in the session, it's like almost going back and just really sinking into that feeling and letting it come up in your body which can sound really scary, but I always (laughs) use the analogy of a splinter, which is like, if we leave that splinter in us, it's going to cause us pain for the rest of our life. Anytime we touch it or brush up against something, it's going to hurt. But if we go in in and using a modality like EMDR or another effective modality, we go in (coughs) EMDR, we take this splinter out it might be really painful for a minute, but then that splinter gets to heal and we're not touching it all the time anymore. Right.
1: And you know what, Holly, I love that you touched on this because I think that that's one of the things that turns people off EMDR yeah. is just experiencing those hard feelings, right? Or And they, the, there's, People, there, there's a lot of us who have learned to cope with them by not maybe not going there anymore, and um, our brain learned to do that for us, and we feel like we're doing okay, we're managing, but we really aren't because this is impacting everything around us, right? And so, one of the things that I like to tell clients is, you're not reliving the experience. The worst part is already over. It happened what we're doing is pre-processing so that you can process things that you didn't, your brain did not process at the time that it happened.
0: Yeah. It's it's like, if your body and your mind, it's like a gear, it's like you got stuck on this gear. Let's go back, revisit that so we can get you off of this gear and shift it onto a new gear.
1: Exactly. And so that's, um, One of the things that I feel people, like it really helps people when they see that is just think about it this way. If your brain in that moment was too overwhelmed to process this information, or your brain couldn't really process it because it needed this pain in order to protect you, then like it got stuck in that moment, right? Like that pain. Let me go back a little bit because I really like to give an example on this. um, Yeah. Um, let's say that you were a child and you were um, you were being um, I don't know, bullied at school. So, in theory, our brain, what it's supposed to do is, when you go to bed, it's supposed to process everything that happened during the day, and so it filters out the emotion and any memories that you that don't serve you, right? If um, I go to Walmart right now and I get in a fight with someone over. Something that I want um, probably tomorrow is not gonna matter because they're not important. It's not gonna happen again, right? So I so when I go to sleep, maybe um, I can process the emotion and maybe I'll remember it, but I won't remember it with any emotion because I don't need it. My brain doesn't need it to protect me. However, let's say I am being bullied at school, and so every day I encounter this. So when I go to bed at night, my brain can't really process everything because it needs to keep me safe so what it's doing is you it's using this pain um to protect me so that whenever I go to school the next day that I know to stay away from people who um are gonna hurt me even though I mean we know that doesn't work that it doesn't work that way but that that's what the brain is doing basically that freezes in time or that's what is keeping us protected but then we grow up and we're no longer in that situation right but our brain is still trying to protect us from the same from things that look very similar to what happened to us back then and that's what's getting activated as adults so let's say that i'm in a situation that even like has like a minute like a small type of information that looks um that that reminds my brain of what happened um, earlier in my childhood, then I will become more pre- defensive, more protective, um, because that is in my brain. Does that make sense?
0: It makes a lot of sense. And just to give a quick example, um, you know, I dealt with a lot of neglect in my childhood. And I remember Uh, i was in a job several years ago where they randomly decided had nothing to do with me but they randomly decided to put my desk in a separate room away from all of my coworkers. and so i was in this room off by myself not really that big of a deal but i started getting panic attacks because they moved my desk because in my subconscious mind it was reminding me of all of the neglect that i experienced as a child so that that's an example of like a trigger that might not seem like that big of an, I, not, not that big of a deal, but if we have trauma, that, that thing in our current life can feel like the past.
1: Exactly. And so even when people think, well, I mean, the bullied already happened or this experience, right? with my parents already happened and it's in the past, your brain doesn't understand that yet because it hasn't processed it. So it needs help processing that experience to make a different sense of things as they're happening now. And that's what EMDR does. It helps us reprocess, that's the reprocessing part, right? Um, the the material so that we see it today in a different way.
0: So that's the assessment and reprocessing phase where you're sinking into the emotion, and you're actually reprocessing it. Tell us what comes next.
1: Next, that desensitization comes in, and that's actually when processing begins. So now you had, let's say like a memory, you're already in that memory, you're maintaining awareness, you know that you're here um, in the present with us, while at the same time you're visiting the past and you have full control over what's happening. That's something that's very important, Holly. That people can, for people to know, is that they have complete control. They can stop whenever they want. They're never gonna be forced to do anything that they don't want to do. And it's safe for them to dip, like, like um, their toes back into that memory and come back. They don't have to stay there. And that's why during the reprocessing, that's what we do. Is um, that face four is when we begin processing and we allow people to go back to that memory or to that time and then come back with us we check what's going on let's go back Uh, let's go with that and and notice what happens and so people start making connections and um we have different channels that we can get into so some people can maybe start processing things that um like the body sensations like maybe people will start telling me like oh I felt some sensation on my legs um on my arms I'm having a headache (laughs) um or some people can just have new ideas that come up like um connections that come up like oh okay like I remember this other time that this other thing happened to me or oh you know what this makes so much more sense why I'm like this in the present now like this totally has to do with that. You know, like, so people start making sense of things and they're making connections and they're, they start processing. This is um, where, depending on the client, um, a lot of the times we, we spend more time here. Um, it really depends on the client though, because I have had some clients who process like super quickly. Um, like in one session, they can process one memory. And then there's other people who can, it can take longer for them to process a memory. It's usually between one and three sessions um, to process one memory.
0: Yeah, that's been my experience too. And I loved what you said about, you know, some things can remind us of others. To me, in my mind, the process of EMDR, it almost looks like a spider web where all these different things are connected or like a choose your own adventure. It's like once you open up the feeling in one channel, it's like you, I might start with a memory where I was 14 years old and then suddenly I'm remembering something that happened when I was seven or something that happened when I was 21 and something that happened when I was three and brain is jumping all over the place. Hi, puppy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. Oh, it's totally cool. We have (laughs) we have pets on the show all the time. It's fine. Um you know, and my brain's jumping all around, but if I'm sitting there in the present moment with awareness, I'm like, oh, here's the underlying thread of how all these things are connected. I felt like I wasn't enough or I felt like I wasn't safe or whatever it is
1: right right and and that's the thing um to me like that's the most beautiful thing about EMDR is that it helps us make sense of us and our world and we start identifying how our beliefs and our reactions and our self-protection and our or negative reactions started you know
0: yeah, yeah, it's it's um, it's incredible work. And I want to just pause for a minute and talk about physically what is going on in the session. And I know there's a few different ways that people practice EMDR, but you know, while you're doing this work of reprocessing, um, you know, my therapist she uses a light machine, and she also has I hold these two vibrating paddles. They're they're these little sticks. The little plastic sticks that I hold in my hand and they vibrate left to right. And then the light blinks left to right. I know that's one way of doing it. I know some therapists like they just use um, their finger and trace it back and forth. But can you talk about Yolanda, just really quick, physically um, the tools of EMDR that are being used in a session while this is going on and, and what that looks like.
1: Different tools can be used with EMDR, I mean, you can just use your fingers, you know, um, a lot of people just do that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then um, for people, well, actually, that sometimes when people don't do well with the eye movements, then you can do other types of, of uh, movements, like um, the tapping on the knees or on the back of the arms. What we're trying to do here is stimulate um, both hemispheres of the brain so we're looking for that bilateral stimulation and some people i mean you you can get tired from doing the bilateral movement so some people choose to have um they they buy like the buzzies which i think that those are the ones that you experience right yeah yeah uh-huh. and then um the um, there's another one that it's like a laser and you just follow it um I mean, some people can say that you can do it with like sticky notes. So you can put two sticky notes and you can just have the client look at alternate. Oh. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's it can be different. Mm, it's just whatever the client feels more comfortable with. And I have heard people say that they process better with some than others. Personally, uh, for me, the tapping on the knees was really helpful. Um, the eyes didn't really work. For me, but um, I, I read that that's most of the research is based on the eye movement. So,
0: okay, but and it's in the yeah. name eye movement desensitization. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and And just like the soundbite description of what's going on when we do that, I think my understanding and correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that we're sinking into this emotion, you know, we're re-experiencing but not reliving this me- memory. And then when we have that physical bilateral stimulation going on simultaneously, what's what that's helping is for both hemispheres of the brain. To integrate and rewire and and transform the meaning of that experience—is that a good way to put it, or how would you describe what's actually going on with the combination of the movement and the feeling?
1: No, you explained it really well, Holly. What um, what we're looking at doing is reprocessing the experience. So basically, the experience was a certain um, the experience wasn't processed right when it should have or when it needed to and now we're helping to reprocess the experience um in the present and that's what emdr is doing just um doing basically what your body or your brain should have done but it didn't really know to do because it didn't understand that the um danger had already passed and that you were
0: safe now so that's the reprocessing. And then I think next um, you move on to the installation phase. Is that right?
1: That was five, which is the installation, right? And then um, six is the body scan. And the body scan is the um, where we do like a last check. So w- when we do EMDR, we always want to check how intense was this memory, right? And so if it was, let's say that that, that it was really intense, we want to get the, the person to a point where they feel like it's, it doesn't bother them anymore when they're there, which actually people get really confused by this um, because they, they can't believe that they can be thinking about that and not feel anything.
0: It's the wildest thing. I mean, I've started out sessions and my therapist asks me, okay, go back to this memory. Tell me how intense it is. And I'm like bawling on her couch. And I'm like, this is a nine. And, and you know, I might be shaking or or something. And then by the end of the session, I'm like, this is a zero. How can this be? This is weird. <laughs> what did, what just happened? This is
1: <laughs> what real. <did> you do? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's funny. I had one time I had a person tell me, and um, we kept going back to the memory and we had processed it for a while and he was like no it, it's a four it's a four and uh and then i was like okay well we keep processing and he and, and he keeps processing but then it seems that it's not going anywhere and the number is not going down and then um i asked like well what do you think it's blocking it from being a zero and he was like you know i don't know i just can't believe that Oh, no he was like no I, you know what I don't know and then I explored his emotions. where do you feel it in your body I don't feel anything mm. I don't feel anything. and and this was a, an older person Um, he, he was 75 and so he and, and and I explored that with him and he was like you know I just never thought that I could I don't think I can believe that I can remember this and not feel anything and it's it is because if you've lived with this 70 years of of your life right and for 70 years you have been in this memory and it has caused a lot of pain it can be pretty um difficult to believe that you no longer feel that way and sometimes people can even feel like um this kind of loss over losing that like like what does it say about me that i can think about this right and i don't feel anything especially if it involves other people that they felt responsible for protecting, but yeah that's but it it is so very, very special, but when we do get to that point where that person is able to go back to that memory and not feel anything and report that they they're at a zero um that they that they're that they don't that doesn't have any that doesn't um have any emotion, then we move on to. Um, the body scan. And in the body scan, we basically catch any sensations, like any um, somatic things that the the body might have not processed during processing. And so we'll just ask the person to um, pay attention to their body and see if anything comes up as they're thinking about this memory with their new belief that um things are okay that they're okay that they're good or whatever it was like their their positive um uh, belief about themselves that they chose that they wanted to believe um when we originally started the work and see if any any um body sensations come up and we, we like we process those and um and that's phase six and when that person feels like they don't have any more body sensations or nothing else comes up because sometimes what, what will happen is that when we're in the, doing the body scan we're thinking like okay that memory was already processed sensations will start happening and also aside from sensations maybe new memories start coming up so it can like Take us back to the, like, reprocessing, which is okay. That's what we want. And that's why we have um, phase six so that we can um, have this last layer, basically, of, um, what do you say, like, uh, we're catching anything that maybe we didn't catch. Yeah,
0: or, like, fully cleaning out the wound because I've been in the phase of body scan where I feel like I've totally processed something and then she asked me to scan my body and I'm like, oh... Oh, suddenly when I'm thinking of my new belief that I'm safe in the present moment, um, I'm sitting here and I feel this, this tightness in my throat and she'll say, okay, let's tap into that tightness. And then we go in and we do another round and we clean that out. And then it's like the wound is fully cleaned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So so the body scan. And then, um, what happens after the body scan?
1: Now, then we go on to phase seven which is closure and this one is basically we process the memory and we're ready to close the session and we explain to the member what they expect between sessions. So um, it looks different for everyone. A lot of people keep reprocessing after they leave um, the office and it's totally normal. So just getting people ready for that. Um, Some people, especially if sometimes we can't close the memory in one session. So that will, um, when we don't close it, it, sometimes people start feeling um, a little sadder in between session, it's normal. So we just kind of like tell them what to expect. When you leave the office, write things down. Uh, you might have unusual re- dreams, <laughs> you might um, have new connections that we may like things might make um, sense in a different way. Reprocessing might continue
0: yeah yeah um i've definitely had the weird dreams or like sometimes for me it's had to get a little bit worse before it gets better but my therapist prepped me and told me that and so i was like oh man i'm feeling really terrible today oh she said this was gonna happen so i can just roll with it
1: (laughs) exactly yeah because you know at the beginning right when i was starting i didn't know so when um like it, this actually happened and my client was like wait like I felt so much worse like I don't think I want to do this <laughs> and I was like oh my god I'm so sorry I didn't know and that's why consultation right it's so great because I was able to go back to to my person and they were like oh no no you need to tell them and this is expected and it's normal and and yeah and so after we closed that session that memory when we when we processed it like things went back to normal but people knowing what's happening and what to expect is really, really helpful.
0: Definitely be prepared for what's to come. And so you said like per memory, typically one to three sessions are needed. And I'm actually, within the next month, I've been in EMDR treatment for, gosh, Six to eight months, something like that. And I've been able to do my whole crazy childhood in like six to eight (laughs) months, and I feel really good about that. (laughs) But um, can you just talk maybe briefly for just talk briefly about um, how long do people, how long are people typically in EMDR, or does it just really vary depending on somebody's history?
1: See, here's the thing, and, and I don't like to give out like numbers specifically because Everybody's so different. Yeah. I've I've had clients seriously, Holly. Like I had uh one client process process like even before we started processing and that caught me off guard. And um she left us by the time we was, were starting to process, she was like, Well, it's a zero. <laughs> I don't feel anything. Wow. And then she went home and um and she completely processed that memory basically her brain did it on her own and then i've had people who it just takes a long time to like phase two takes a long time right so we can't even get to the first memory yet or there can be people who have um like th- who spend more time i don't and, and it, there's no wrong way to do EMVR therapy so i don't want people to get this idea that I'm doing it wrong because it's taking longer for me. Right. Yeah. Everybody's different. Everybody's going to go at their own pace and whatever, however amount of time it takes you is the right time for you. Usually we're looking at, um, one to three, uh, sessions per memory. And then we, we really have to kind of go into the history and see how much, how many memories there are. Right. Um, the other thing though is that EMDR and therapy can go slower for for some people sometimes. So it might be that you spend a lot of sessions working in one memory because you want you're working a lot on maintaining dual awareness and you're going really slow. Um so yeah, so people so so it takes more time.
0: Yeah. And I, love, I loved your answer of however long it takes for you is how long it's supposed to take for you. I think that's the best answer anybody could give.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's a very organic process. Just just go there without, um, my best way to say it is just go there without expectations of what it should look like. Just let yourself go through the process and see what it's doing for you.
0: Yeah. Because I think when, you know, in any modality or anything that we're doing, if we get caught up in the shoulds of like, well, it should be going this way, or my friend did it and she said it happened like this for her. That's when we get caught up in those, sh- those shame spirals of it's not happening right for me.
1: <laughs> right. You know, and that, that was completely how it happened with me. I am such a perfectionist. So when I was doing it, I was like, wait, like, why are these not, thoughts not just coming up? Like, do, am i supposed to think about this? Like, like, it, and it felt wrong. And I spent, I spent a good time like struggling with it. And it was just my expectations of it because I had read so much about it, and I was just so ready and excited for it. And when I was there, I was getting in my own way, right? Mm. And so yeah. I think if people just, well, I mean, one of the things that that we say often is just don't like there's no right or wrong way to do it and um if you don't feel like you're getting benefit from it um you can always tell your therapist and and they can uh, see what's going on but usually it's something that the therapist can do different not you not the client the therapist it might be that the way that they're processing is not it's not as effective for you, you know, like, or they're getting in your way too much because when we're doing EMDR, we are supposed to just let the process happen. It's very, very organic. It's not talk therapy. So if you're doing EMDR and your therapist is talking to you about like empathizing with you or validating you, they shouldn't. (laughs)
0: Because they're getting
1: in the way of your processing.
0: Yeah, during the actual processing. Yeah, it's it's for me it felt just like total free association until we took a break. And then, you know, she might say a little validating thing and then she'd say, you know, are we ready to jump back in? Yeah, let's jump back in. But it's very different than talk therapy. And that's um one thing I liked uh, like about it is that it is different. And I've had good experiences in talk therapy. Um, and I'm a fan of talk therapy, but I think trauma can be a different beast and we need a different tool to deal with it. So I love all these things that you've pointed out. And how would someone know, I think we touched on this a little bit earlier, but how would someone know if they are a good fit for EMDR or if they maybe should pursue a different type of therapy? How does somebody know that from the get go or can they know that from the get go?
1: To me is more about how willing are you to trust the process, right? and how open are you to trying it because if a person feels like this isn't gonna work then it's not gonna work because we're gonna be getting in our own way right here's what happens like our like our brain connections um when we're processing they will come to us automatically like our our past memories or sensations or whatever it is it will come to us automatically but if we're from the get-go if we feel like this is weird and i'm thinking that right like oh my god this is so weird then i'm not really allowing things to come naturally i'm blocking them with that belief right Um, so we just like just being mindful of that it happened like i said it happened to me with me it wasn't that i didn't believe in it to me it was that i was expecting i didn't know like i was expecting i don't know what i was expecting but um i was thinking that things would just start coming like memories would just start coming and i didn't feel like it was happening so my brain was just stuck in that why isn't it happening or what am i looking for here and i was blocking my own process so a person has to be very willing to just trust the process and to let whatever happen happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Whatever's gonna happen, happen. If somebody is in that spot and obviously there's they meet the criteria, right, for therapy, for EMDR, then um then I would say it would be the right approach for them.
0: Yeah, I think what you mentioned and just getting um, as much as we can, letting go. You know, I remember saying so many times in therapy in the past, I feel like I'm not doing it right. I feel like I'm not doing it right. And just letting go of that judgment of ourselves of what it's supposed to look like and just letting whatever comes up, come up and trust that whatever comes up is going to be the right thing. Um, you know, and that takes some self-trust. And a lot of us, you know, we struggle with self-trust.
1: Yes. And here's the thing. And one of the things that I was told is that you can actually process that perfectionism.
0: <laughs> right?
1: so it's like, oh, well, what does it feel to not feel like you're doing things right (laughs) let's go with that
0: (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs)
1: let's go with that feeling of not feeling like you're doing things right
0: (laughs) totally
1: (laughs) because it's usually something that we have struggled with, you know, anyway, if it's coming up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I actually have processed that in EMDR. That goes back to my dad, but we won't go there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Another question I have that I've gotten from quite a few people who I've, you know, told about EMDR. Um, Some people have told me, and I haven't done a lot of research about this myself, but I've heard about, Um, there are things online that mimic EMDR or there's like apps that mimic EMDR where you can like go to websites or you can download an app and it has a blinking light and it it sort of mimics the process of EMDR. And like I said, I haven't looked into these things. um, And I am very, very much an advocate for self-healing and giving people the tools that they need, you know, to, to help heal themselves. And we don't always need to work with a guru or a healer. But having experienced EMDR myself, I'm a little skeptical of these things because having somebody there to guide the process, you know, especially when you're dealing with trauma, it just felt so integral to me. So Yolanda, do you know anything about these apps and like what's your perspective on them, you know, from a clinician's point of view? Yeah,
1: that's a very good question. And actually, um, I have tried doing EMDR myself, like I said, um, before I think we're talking about like EMDR, when, wanting to find somebody who I can do EMD my own EMDR, um, therapy, but it's a little bit harder where I live. Um, I tried it, but it's just not the same. It, it just isn't, um, I think, that, the therapeutic relationship, is very powerful. Just having somebody there sitting in front of you. Um, one who's actually guiding the process, right? But the other is just um, the, the power of EMDR is also having somebody there with you, witnessing uh, your story in a caring way because a lot of the times people have never had that in their lives. And Absolutely. so having that is very powerful um, and I I believe to be part of, of the process and actually um, opening yourself up, up and trusting and and actually finding that you're you're normal, you're human, you're not like somebody's not horrified hearing all these things from you. Somebody's actually sitting there across from you and it's very empathic and loving. And maybe you've never had that, you know? So I think for both reasons, right? Um, One is the guided component from it, like somebody who can actually ground you. And the therapeutic component of it is just like having, having it with someone is very powerful.
0: I agree 100%. And I think so many of us with trauma have a tendency to minimize our trauma and say, you know, well, it wasn't bad, or I made it through and I'm still alive. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe that thing that I went through wasn't so terrible after all. And having somebody to sit there, or for me at least, having somebody there saying, you do realize how strong you are for having gotten through what you've gotten through, right? And like validating what I've been through and, and, and making me feel not crazy for how I feel has, has just been monumental.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I honestly think that um, just having somebody witness your, your story in a, an empathetic way, because I, I also can feel that if that doesn't happen, it can be very damaging, you know, but that's more with the training of the professional, especially with people who have had complex PTSD, who've never had anyone. I find that it can be very powerful. It really connects you to people. It's not only getting connected to um, your therapist. It's just people in general. Like relationships look different. I know that I had um, my my facilitator on the EMDR when I when I did EMDR, it was like so, so empathic and they were able to hold uh the pain for me in such a way that I felt cared for you know and that part of the process is what is missing when I try to do it on my own it's not there and it it feels it feels uh lonely and the other thing that I want to say and why I would advise um against doing it by yourself is because it's very important for people to maintain dual awareness now in my case Um, I wasn't concerned that I wasn't able to maintain dual awareness, but, um, there's people who can't, they they can have a problem with that. So they try to do it on their own and they, um, have, they, they actually are reliving, like they have a flashback and they're actually are reliving the experience that can be more traumatizing and there, there won't be somebody to get them out of there. And when we are, with a client, we're always monitoring that. Are you here? Make sure you know that you're here, not there. That already passed. It's old stuff. Like, it it already happened. Like, you're here with me. And so that in itself can ground a person. I've had clients who, in the middle of a session, like, if I notice, like, they're, that, that they can um, start dissociating, I bring them back. And that won't happen if you're doing it by yourself.
0: Yeah, that, that to me is, is the biggest thing is, um, you know, if you're, if you're attempting to do this work yourself and, and you're down in a memory of something horrible that maybe happened to you is you don't want to get stuck there and like, end up giving yourself a panic attack, <laughs> sitting in front of your computer, looking at this blinking light with nobody <laughs> to help you.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, no Yeah. It's- It's, it's, um, you know, I'm the biggest advocate too, of giving people, um, tools so that they can process things on their own or understand things. And actually like, um, I, I love the, the holistic psychologist and I follow her page and I, I learned so much from her and I, I feel that actually I have my clients follow her too. And I feel that in addition to coming to see me, like they are getting more, right? Because. Oftentimes, there's a lot of things that won't come up in therapy um, mm-hmm. because they're just not the time, or or like sometimes, like you have something else that's bothering you that you want to um, target or or continue working on, and so this other thing, maybe you're you haven't even noticed, right, that it was there, and so I I feel that it's really important for people to have the information um, so that it enters their awareness. Yeah, but I I also see a lot of value in the therapeutic relationship. But you do have to make sure that you're with somebody who you trust and who you feel can hold your pain. It's so important like that to me, like that's the most important thing about finding a therapist. It's not just working with someone. It's do you trust this person? Uh, yeah, so that that's the way that I see it. Is like we should be more out there giving people tools to do their own work and bring things into their own awareness that maybe they're not even aware of. Um, while also, um, if if possible, seeking somebody, especially I would say if they're. Um, if they have, they really struggle with connections and if they don't have a supportive network, because um, I have clients who at this moment, right, I am the only good connection that they have, and they don't know what it looks like outside of um, therapeutic relationship yet, but that's
0: what we, we've been working on, right? It's all about the level of work that you're doing and the kind of support that you need. And a lot of us, you know, we need both at the same time. And you're right, there's only so much that you can get done in an hour therapy session or an hour coaching session or whatever it is. And, you know, if you're on a path of self growth, it's got to be more than the hour of week. It's like the hour a week. It's like, okay, well, what are you doing in between sessions to stay connected with your growth?
1: Exactly. And I love, um, I mean, the community, right? Like the, the, the Instagram community, because I feel like we're getting a lot of information from people that we weren't even aware of. I'm learning things about myself and about how to help other people because there's just so much information. There's just no way any one person can know everything. Right. And so I, that's, I think that's the power of how now we have more access to all of this information from different places. Yeah. And I love it. I feel honestly, like I feel that that's the way um our um, profession needs to, or I mean, it's just me, maybe I'm biased, but I feel like <laughs> this is the the way your profession needs to grow, where we're um, helping uh, people, supporting them um, with accessing their information, um, and just basically like reading information and seeing if you Relate with it. Does it connect with you? Does this ring true to you? And I think that's one of the things that doesn't happen in therapy because we usually make everything about you and what's going on with you. But Uh. I know that for a lot of my posts, people say like, "Oh my God! Like I didn't even think about this. I didn't know about this. You know, like I this wasn't in my awareness." And those are the type of things that are not coming to, like we're not taking um, those things to of therapy because we're not even aware that they're there
0: exactly and i think the old school model of therapy is kind of hush hush and it happens behind a closed door and you know uh dr nicole and i when she was on the show we talked a lot about how you know in the old school model of therapy like Therapist is never supposed to disclose anything they almost kind of like dehumanize themselves in the room But with this with this new model of mental wellness that some of us um, You know, especially dr. Nicole are really ushering into the consciousness It's like let's let's take therapy out from behind the closed doors and because I feel like in some ways the closed door is what perpetuates the shame because just like you were talking about with the awareness like so many people are walking around with these issues that they need to work on, but they're not even aware that they're issues because they don't even have the language to talk about it. And Instagram is frankly changing that.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And you know what, Holly? One of the biggest things that I feel, and that's one of the, the things that I, I try or I, I hope to do with my page is just to understand that a lot of the things that we feel are human. Um, a lot of the times people feel like oh, others, others don't feel this way, right? It's just me. But it feels like that because we don't talk about it. And I think um, Brene Brown does an amazing job of talking about shame and vulnerability and connecting to others by um, being vulnerable and talking about these things that make us feel shame. Um, But yeah, I think a lot of us think, that others have it all figured out, but that could not be farther from the truth. Like no one has it figured out. No one nobody. <laughs> Your therapist, like <laughs> like I laugh. Um I've I've always in my practice, I always um share with my clients, obviously I don't make it about me. Like it's not like the session, you know, turns the focus on me. But I've always shared things with my clients that like um are hard for me too when they say like you know um like when i if i'm teaching them about parenting i'll say like you know what like i felt this way before like it sucks you know and um let's um but but it can change and it can get better and i understand why it's difficult for you Mm um and i think it's so important you know that therapy is like we sometimes that therapist on a pedestal that they're supposed to have their whole life figured out but we don't we're, we're human too um but we are learning to right and we're trying to be more aware and we're trying to apply these things into their own life and i think that's what makes a therapist a good therapist right like you're growing with your clients and a lot of the times we end up learning things from our our, our clients too um So anyway, yeah, Yeah. I think um, opening the door so that people can see that we're human too and that we are out there just to provide them with information so that they can also um, start learning more of the things that maybe we've come across that have helped us too
0: absolutely i just i just love how it's evolving and um it's taking off like wildfire because it's time like people are so hungry for this and like let's just break down the walls and break down the shame and help people get the support they need and and speaking of that let's say somebody hears this episode and they're like oh my gosh i didn't even know about emdr and now i'm so curious and and how do i get connected with an emdr therapist how would somebody go about looking for an EMDR therapist, Yolanda?
1: Yes. So there's, um, there's, a I mean, there's a few ways that you could probably type up EMDR and then your city, right. And something like you would probably get a, a list of people who are practicing EMDR in your community, but there's also um, EMDR.com and that is um you you can get a list of the people who have been um, trained by the EMDR Institute, and then you can get a list on emdrea.org, and you will get those lists of people who are um, approved by MDREA to to do EMDR. Um, those are the easiest. Okay. Yeah.
0: And we'll link all those up in the show notes. Um, what are your thoughts on, I often point people to PsychologyToday.com and have them like choose the EMDR. They check the EMDR box. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you refer people or, or suggest people use that as a tool? You know what?
1: Um, that's interesting. I've never used it. I, um, my clients, I, I, I usually don't get people for EMDR. Um, like I usually do EMDR with my existing clients. I don't know if that makes
0: sense. Gotcha. Um, so they come to you as a client and then you decide to integrate EMDR. It's not like somebody comes to you, Ooh, because I want EMDR. Is that what I'm hearing?
1: Yes. And I'm okay. not listed out there. <laughs> like my name's not out there. I mean, my name is somewhere, I guess, but like, it's not, um, I'm not too familiar with with all of the tools, but if you've had success, I would I would definitely recommend people um, do that route too.
0: Okay, yeah, that's how I found mine. And often, um, you know, often a lot of therapists I think who are in private practice, I think they are usually on the directory of PsychologyToday.com. So we'll link that mm-hmm. up in the show notes too, and then you can filter by your insurance and your state and like uh, the issues you're experiencing all that good stuff. So that's a tool that I've, uh, that I've recommended people, uh, use to find an EMDR therapist. And Yolanda, if we want to connect with you and keep up with you and all the goodness that you're spreading in the world, where can we find you? Um, well, on Instagram, <laughs> you
1: can find me on Instagram and um, my account is azpsychotherapist. Um, Yeah, and I'm always posting stuff on there um, just to bring more awareness. So Yeah,
0: Yeah. and AZ is for, I'm assuming, Arizona. You're in Arizona, is that right? Yes, I'm in Arizona. (laughs) Okay, cool. AZ, psychotherapist, her page is great. I'm always reposting her stuff, so um, really, really great account over there. And Yolanda, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your wisdom. I know it's going to help so many people.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, I love, um, talking about this. I love what you're doing, Holly. And that, um, I I hope that people find this helpful, um, as they're thinking maybe of, of doing EMDR.
0: Wonderful. Well, thanks again, Yolanda. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye Holly. Thanks for hanging out today. Hopefully, you learned a lot. If you are at all intrigued by EMDR, I would encourage you to explore that. Go down that rabbit hole. It has been easily one of the top five things I have done for my own mental health. And if you know anything about me, you know that I have done all of the things (laughs) in pursuit of mental wellness. I'm like the mental wellness guinea pig and EMDR. Let's see. EMDR, hypnotherapy, nutrition, energy work. I think that's four. I got to come up with my top five. But anyway, it's in my top five. Highly recommend it. So yeah, we'll link up resources for you in the show notes. So head over to MindSpeakPodcast.com to check out the show notes. You can come hang out with me on Instagram over at Holly Fisher Higgins. And you can get connected with Yolanda over at AZ Psychotherapist on Instagram. She has an amazing page. So that's it for this week. And until next time, go believe in you. I do.